Welcome to the Kingdom of Sheba, a podcast about giving voice to women to speak their mind. Each Thursday, we deliver you the best hard-hitting analysis of social issues, politics, relationships, dating, business, and more. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Kingdom of Sheba. I'm your host, Olivia Glody, and my guest today is Miss Cicely. She got 20 years of uh, working for a nonprofit organization. And today we're going to discuss uh, one major issue that Black women, women of color in general, face in uh, the workplace, which is it's called uh, code switching. So uh, I'm going to let her introduce you, uh, herself, and then we're going to discuss the topic of the day. Uh, thank Cicely. you. Thank you. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Cecily, and I um, am a self-proclaimed servant leader. I have been uh, working in the nonprofit organization for well over 20 years, and really my passion is to lead through serving. Um, I uh, have worked in the same organization for 20 years, but... Oh, wow. um, you know, uh, continue to find joy and purpose in, in leading others. And so, yeah, that's who I am. I'm a mom. I'm a wife. Um, I um, am a friend. I am a, uh, who else am I? I'm still trying to figure that out <laughs> as I grow up, but uh, uh, I am on a continuous evolution uh to me so that's who i am okay thank you and uh the topic of the day is uh code switching so i want you to tell the listener listeners what what code switching is i'm going to give a, a brief definition of code switching yeah so um code switching i mean I, it's not a new uh phrase by any means but it really is how um people uh, tend to change behaviors mm. or speech or their normal mannerisms mm. all with the purpose of conforming to the mainstream or dominant culture, really um, uh, transforming from your own norms, behaviors mm -hmm. with the goal of kind of assimilating um, to the to the to the dominant culture. Okay, and when you mean dominant culture, you mean it can be a race or, or gender. Or it both. can be race, gender, religion, sexual orientation, sexual mm. identity. Mm. It could be class. Um, it it is it definitely varies. There's also mm. intersectional cultures, and so mm. it definitely varies. Okay, okay. And uh, do you can you you know give like a few reasons why? Uh, people, uh, you know, could switch. Yeah, from I mean, seen, from your experience, from, from my experience. And so what I will do is I will start from a place of my own experience. And, mm -hmm. and I would say leadership journey. Mm -hmm. You know, I really became aware of it personally, when I was afforded opportunities uh, for growth within the organization and my uh, tribe, I will say the folks that I was directly managing shifted and I had um, um, interactions and engagements with different 
um, different audiences. Mm -hmm. So um, it was there that I personally felt the need to assimilate and um, be different in order to not stand out. Um, so I will say that, again, I've grown a lot, but for me, it was the fact that I was the youngest person um, on the senior leadership team. And this is really when it became really evident for me mm. and evident and evident in what I was doing and didn't realize I was doing. So I was the youngest person on the senior leadership team and the only person of color. Mm -hmm. And um, being uh, exposed to different groups and um, having seats at different tables mm -hmm. made me very aware of my difference. And honestly, um, I can say it now, it made me uncomfortable. It made me not uncomfortable, not only, um, not of who I was, mm -hmm. but of who other, who my perception, let me take that, let me, let me rephrase that. It, I was uncomfortable with other people's perceived perceptions of me, oh, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> so it wasn't even anything that they said. It was really just my own history and mm. the, kind of internalized oppression that I continued to carry. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, what that looked like in behavior and in speech is I would dress a certain way, um, even down to the colors of clothes that I wear, wore. The jewelry that I wore was a very, very modest. Uh, the makeup that I wore was very, very neutral. Again, under with the goal of not standing out more than I already was right mm -hmm. um from the um tone of my voice mm -hmm. became um much um um much um became much what is the word I'm trying to say softer mm -hmm. right I naturally have a heavy voice I'm kind of vibrant and and kind of um you know um a lot, some people would say. So I became a lot quieter, mm -hmm. more reserved. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't participate as much again, all while managing this internal struggle that solely came from a place of past experiences and my perceptions of what others thought of me. Um, and so I, for me, it, it became a, a point of me realizing that I was being really inauthentic mm -hmm. and I was struggling with this kind of internal dichotomy of leading mm -hmm. a group, several, you know, dozens of people, but from a place of inauthenticity when I was claiming to be an authentic leader. Mm -hmm. And so in fact, um, I felt like a bit of a counterfeit mm. and had to deal with that, had to manage that, had to, had to pray about that, had to, had to research that. Um, and ultimately that my experiences really became the basis of my doctoral research. Oh, wow.
Wow. And uh, now when you're talking about your own experience and when did you find out that, you know, uh, your behavior has changed and as you were you know, growing up in, in, uh, in that, that company? So it, was it a month later, two years later, or it just <laughs> went, you know, you woke up one morning and found out, you know what, um, I think that uh, I'm not on the path that I'm supposed to be. It was years later. I'm going to be really wow. honest with you. And it wasn't until I will say that I became aware at my level of comfort, mm-hmm. particularly when it came to public speaking, when I was in front of people of color mm-hmm. and and people not of color. Right. Okay, okay. And that didn't really happen until my first residency in my PhD program, which was in 2016. Mm-hmm. So it hasn't been that long. And I've been in leadership position for a very long time. So it was an epiphany for me because I would I would historically get sick to my stomach if I would have to do a presentation, mm-hmm. speak before uh, the board of directors or speak before a group of people who I was different from, I would get all nervous. I would get all, you know, in my head and I wouldn't be as articulate as I could be mm-hmm. because of the own internal angst I was feeling. And it wasn't until I had to do a similar type thing mm-hmm. in my residency, really presenting on my potential um, research topic where I felt None of that. And I realized how much more effective I was at delivering the message and communicating with my audience Mm -hmm. in that moment. It was like, wow, I didn't sound like a moron. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I didn't want to instantly vomit at the fact of getting up there in front of that room. Wow, I commanded that audience. I walked, I was comfortable. It showed in my verbal and nonverbal gestures. And so I was like, okay, Cicely, what is that? And it was that where I began to be able to call it out for what it is, mm-hmm. not be ashamed of it, and then figure out, okay, what are the things that I do, that I need to do to begin mm-hmm. to address that, to unpack that, um, and to, to, to counteract that so I can be the best mm-hmm. that I can be for the people that I am, um, given really charge to, to help serve, mm-hmm. to, to achieve their maximum performance. Right. So yeah. it was really through though, these last several years that I have really come into my own and been able to, in fact, use my own experiences mm-hmm. to help others. And that, that, that journey and even in what the behavior and or um, dress looks like is totally different. Years mm-hmm. ago, I would have never thought about wearing a head wrap to work. I do it several times a week now and hold my head up high because I, I made up my mind mm-hmm. after that experience that I was determined to be unapologetically me. And all that that entailed. Yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, thank you for, for for sharing that personal experience. Now, uh, my question would be: uh, 
once you were aware of that and you start making those changes, did you see it, how was it uh, you know uh, received from you know uh, uh, you know the people that you were working you know with before now because they used to see you for years in a certain mm -hmm. a, a certain way you know a different dress code different jewelry different makeup now you come out of yourself being yourself what your culture represented all, all that how did it you know, did it get perceived. So I got perceived differently by the the two different sets of groups, the dominant group, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the white group, and then the people of color. So the people of color um, were definitely um, cheering me on, mm -hmm. encouraging me, saying, okay, sis, we see you pretty much. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and it really became a... a it, it, I, and this is, I don't want it to sound prideful or I don't want it to sound um, anything for what it was, but mm -hmm. it really became an opportunity mm -hmm. for others mm -hmm. to get, uh, to be granted permission to do it. Because I was the person of color and leadership, there was a lot of weight on me, yeah. right? It, it carried a lot of weight. I was the representation of people of color <laughs> <laughs> within the organization of about 200. And so when other people saw me evolving, they would say, oh, you can do that? Oh, I'm going to do that, right? Mm -hmm. And so it was almost like I was in a position to model the behavior mm -hmm. that would become acceptable mm -hmm. in the dominant culture. So that was from, you know, that group. The folks who maybe weren't used to seeing me be so... Um, unapologetically me and authentic they questioned it but not in a bad way but more in, in an inquisitive way mm -hmm. and then it just became a part of who I was and then it became an opportunity for conversation okay right? it became an opportunity for conversation even years ago when I used to change up my hairstyles mm. um it, it became an opportunity for dialogue, right? Because I was very honest and open about, clearly this is not my hair if it's like auburn and wet and wavy. And just a week ago, I was bald, right? <laughs> and so people would feel free mm -hmm. to come up and ask questions. And again, because of relationship, I didn't take it I wasn't offended by it. Mm -hmm. It became an opportunity for conversations. And even people say, I wish I could do that. And I would say, well, why can't you? It's not unique to me. Mm -hmm. It's not unique to African-American women. Why can't you? Again, just using it as a place of dialogue for helping to create and being more aware mm -hmm. of the importance of creating an inclusive environment. I see. See now, um, so that's on the visual side. On the visual mm -hmm. side, you start being more, you know, embracing your culture, embracing who you are, and taking mm -hmm. to the workplace. Now, you also talk about um, uh, the tone in your voice. How mm -hmm. did that also change? Did you start mm -hmm. changing also and trying to be yourself when you come to uh, that part also? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, as I said, and those who. Uh, my family and friends and loved ones and sometimes enemies knows that I have a loud voice, right? Mm -hmm. If you walk down the hallway and you hear me laughing, you can hear me <laughs> laughing down the hallway. 
And I will say that many, I used to be very quiet, mm -hmm. but, but, and again, my, the, or, I will say that the organizational culture is conducive to that. So it's not random. It's mm -hmm. not, it's not odd to hear people laughing often, right? We work in a very difficult environment. So laughter is, is very important and, and welcome. But people would say, we knew that was Cicely. We could hear her laughing down the hallway. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be ashamed or feel um uh, I used to take offense to that but mm -hmm. now it's who I am mm -hmm. and in fact it's what people come to know about me mm -hmm. um and seek that out often right yeah um I would also say in addition to my tone um the my language I'm a lot I'm a lot less cautious or uh, let me say this I'm a lot less concerned mm -hmm. about my language and how it indicates my level of competency or education. Mm -hmm. So I used to get stuck in if I were to in an environment that I wasn't comfortable in mm -hmm. slipping up and saying y'all mm -hmm. or slaying a slang word mm -hmm. that I would be like, oh, my God, what are they going to think? Are they going to think I'm in, um, not intelligent? Um, are they going to think I'm ignorant? Now, and again, I, I don't do it in all environments, but I, if I say y'all, it's just y'all, mm -hmm. right? I don't, I don't get all in my head and I don't automatically go to a place of they're going to think you're um, ignorant because yeah. you didn't speak proper, right? So now I am not, I, I, I'm not worried about that as much. And again, not having that weight or not having that kind of mental and emotional weight mm -hmm. to carry allows me to be free to operate in the vein that I am purposed to do. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Okay. That's good. That's good. Now, now that you've been through uh, that journey, you know, uh, of self-discovery or, uh, you know, uh, showing at, at your workplace who you are, any uh, regret that you have, like, you know, you should have done it sooner? Uh, and also, what impact does this have today on your, your, your performance, on your performance? Um, so regrets, absolutely. I wish I would have done it sooner. I wish I would have been more empowered to help create... Um, and facilitate a culture of authenticity sooner. Mm -hmm. And with um, with other women of color in the organization, there's mm -hmm. not many of us, mm -hmm. and there's not many women of color in leadership roles. So being able to do that sooner, um, even with some key leaders who are no longer with us, mm -hmm. I, I wish I would have been more impactful, influential, um, and influential sooner. Um, but... Uh, I will say how it impacts me today or in my current job performance. Mm -hmm. um, again, I go back to the freedom to mm -hmm. be me mm -hmm. has made me to be an, a more effective leader, mm -hmm. to lead from a greater place of transparency, mm -hmm. to lead from a greater place of authenticity and mm -hmm. vulnerability, mm -hmm. um, which to me are all core leadership um um uh attributes mm -hmm. um it has allowed me 
to create a reputation of that, not only internally, mm -hmm. but within the greater external community that I'm engaged with. And it's appreciated, right? Yeah. It's appreciated um, that sometimes in a meeting, depending on who it is, I will give the side eye and people will laugh because they, <laughs> know, <laughs> they know what the side eye is. Um, or will say something that maybe people of a certain culture will know, but because they know it's coming from me, mm -hmm. people are, 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 um, are aware of it and know the source of it. And so it doesn't seem like a threat or doesn't seem as like the secret language. Yeah. That it's also given me an opportunity to share some of those norms, those cultural norms that, uh, again, are so near and dear to us, right? So gestures and expressions are so prevalent in in um, the African American community, and it's it's like the unspoken language. And so mm -hmm. I will look at another white Connor, uh, another white colleague with a side eye, and they know exactly what it is. Um, and so again, without having this the weight, the the the, the mental weight of not necessarily having to assimilate mm -hmm. has made me be a better leader and and again has given me access to other platforms mm -hmm. that I probably would not have had access to exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. okay and I think it correct me if I'm wrong but I think you said earlier that uh you uh because of what you've been through you use that experience to uh using it as your uh one of your thesis for your doctorate correct that is correct okay so my guess is you probably saw or uh, still seeing a lot of african-american women going through the same uh, experience that you went through absolutely a lot of them and so what i have been able to do i mean that's just one piece of it but what i've been able to do is to be able to identify that in other women mm -hmm. and be able to have a conversation and be able to encourage them again my journey was my journey mm -hmm. right that may not be they may not be ready for that um but just to be able to encourage them and say hey sis i see you be you right mm -hmm. and that's all right so women you know particularly african-american women know what that means exactly and again it gives them an opportunity to say okay so being able to use my position and influence mm -hmm. to encourage others and to support others leadership journeys that's really what i i love to do and really what um you know gives me joy particularly with women of color because mm -hmm. there's not many of us right mm -hmm. so yeah yeah, but, you know, uh, uh, let me play the devil advocate here. Now, okay, you in a high rank of the hierarchy of your company. Now, if you go to somebody uh, like another African-American uh, woman who's trying to navigate a way to uh, the leadership of uh, corporate America, for example, she might think that, she might tell you, okay, you know what, that's what I need to, what I need to do for now till I get to where I want to be. So what would be your advice uh, to that person? And, and who, who think I, that, you know, doing the, the code switching is necessary to, you know, to, to get a place, I mean, to move the, the, you know, the, into the, the ladder of corporate America. Yes. And I would honestly have to respect her journey, right? Mm -hmm. Because someone, uh, 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 someone in that same position could have thought the same 
when I was going through my mm-hmm. process of evolution, mm-hmm. it's got to be something within that says, listen, I am who I am. Mm-hmm. I know what I know. Mm-hmm. I deserve a seat at this table, mm-hmm. whether I use y'all, whether I have hoops on mm-hmm. and a red lip, <laughs> right? I know what I know. And really it was a, it was that internal intrinsic confidence mm-hmm. that really was able to be um, um, was able to be reinforced mm-hmm. on the outside. So it, it, again, and, uh, and I will say that most of my perceived um, um, impressions of others came from a place of insecurity, mm-hmm. right? So I had to do a lot of work and still do. Let me just be really honest with you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and still have to work at it because I can easily slip back in those places that say, it's easier for me to blend in than stand out. Mm. But I'm at the point where I'm just a little bit more knowledgeable. I've had a little bit more experience, a little bit more tenured to mm. say, listen, I know what I know is what I know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that I belong at this table, that I, I worked hard to have a seat at this table, regardless of my head wrap or anything else. So I would have to respect the individual journey, mm-hmm. but just also be available, be present, um, be a resource to other women when and if they decide to choose not to code mm-hmm. switch, right? Because mm-hmm. again, it's 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 definitely an individual journey. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. And like you said yourself, like it took you years for even mm-hmm. have the courage to uh, uh, to open up and uh, start being your, yourself. So um, we're getting close to the end of this interview. And I want to ask you maybe a couple more questions. Uh, you talk about uh, how you when you were operating from that, you know, uh, from the code switching point, it was hard for you to get on stage and, and talk because you got this, you know, uh, feeling that you know you don't want to uh, be you couldn't couldn't be yourself. Mm-hmm. So is that behavior of code switching? How do you think like has a mental you know uh, an impact on the mental issue? Mental of black women, you know your the way you perform. Does it have any impact on it? Your joy, your, your 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 yes. behavior in general, yeah. Yes. Uh, you know, it sounds very cliche and maybe a little corny, but I'm a social worker. So go with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think having to operate from that place, it, it really diminishes the spirit of black women. Oh, wow. You know, we are made of spice and sass and um, style and having to water that down waters down who we are Mm. and i would oftentimes look at other women who were unapologetic in who they were and be so envious and have to think to myself well what is stopping you sicily i'm stopping me Mm. right i'm stopping me and so i felt such that it, it really killed who i was it took away my joy again because i could be this you know, vivacious, you know, outgoing person in certain circles, but then would play small mm-hmm. intentionally in other settings and in, in um, audiences. And so it was confusing. 
it was it was uh, tiring, exhausting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then let me just be real, real. I have two black daughters. Mm-hmm. What was it communicating to them? They necessarily they didn't necessarily ever see mommy in action, but inherently, what was I perpetuating? Mm. Was I perpetuating the mainstream ideolo- ideologies of, of 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 dress and culture and and style? Um, all the while in encouraging them to be themselves. Again, mm. I felt like a fraud, and so. Um, I was like, you know what? I'm not doing this no more. I'm not I'm not doing this no more. I deserve better. My babies deserve better. And I just have to be me. Um, but it it, it, it zapped my energy, my mm-hmm. spirit, my life. Um to and I and I saw it as really playing small mm-hmm. so I wouldn't be seen as a threat to others. And mm-hmm. again, and I will say that some of what I was going through was reinforced on the job by being called aggressive, by being called too loud mm-hmm. early on. So it wasn't all internally in what I perceived that it was also reinforced by some of the things that I heard and saw in the workplace, as well as just in overall, you know, the, the general society. Yeah. And so kind of having all of that mental, you know, uh, 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 those mental models and norms to, to contend with, it's like, okay, I don't want to be too black. I don't want to sound too urban. Mm-hmm. I don't want to look too spicy. <laughs> right. And I know how to be professional. I know what professional dress and etiquette looks like. Mm-hmm. But even with that, being authentic within those perimeters, you know, um, is, is really where I try to live. So, yeah, it, it really can take a mental and emotional and spiritual toll on black women. And it's no bueno. No bueno. No bueno. <laughs> no bueno. He speaks Spanish too. I'm bilingual. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And um, uh, yeah, you just mentioned that uh, not only not only it was internal, uh, but also in the work environment, you know, uh, something that was something that was said, you know, will lead you will lead you to uh, to behave a certain way. So my question is: so do you think that uh, although there's uh, anti-discrimination policies in most companies these days, do you think that is not enough or it's just on paper, but in practice, you know, uh, they want you to act a certain way because of your, your, uh, your culture. Would you agree with yeah. that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I do. So let me just say, and I've been, I'm also part of some of the uh, equity, diversity, and inclusive work that's happening within my organization. I've been a part of leading those efforts for the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. And let me just say this, that there are a lot of organizations, systems, and sectors that are mm-hmm. on board with the EDI, which is the equity, diversity, inclusion work, simply because it's the latest and greatest hashtag Uh and everybody wants to be a part of the movement um, excuse Uh me be a part of the moment Uh because there's greater attention on it there are resources uh financial resources being directed towards 
um, companies and organizations who are valuing that and prioritizing that. So I'm going to say this, that you can have all the policies you want. Mm -hmm. You can have diversity and equity plans and hiring practices. Mm -hmm. But if it's only on paper and it's not evident within the, the, the fabric of the culture, it's mm -hmm. for naught. And that's going to be really easy to spot, right? Yeah. And so I don't put much um, value in, um, uh, uh, I don't put much value into organizational policies because unless there is a true sense of valuing the policies mm -hmm. and putting your money where your mouth is and prioritizing them, mm -hmm. then it's not going to pay off. So it really, it, really being able to move from a place mm -hmm. of people feeling the need to code switch mm -hmm. really comes from an inclusive work environment. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's not inclusive just because it's in a, uh, a, a, a mission statement, a value statement uh, or a vision statement mm -hmm. that it's inclusive because it is felt seen and evident in every aspect of the organization, from the mm -hmm. policies to the, mm -hmm. the to the physical edifice to the hiring practices, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Okay, okay, thank you, thank you. Now, my, my last question would be: um, Now that you've been through that journey, uh, so you've been on two the two sides of the the aisle. You've been, you know, uh, what. Uh, internally you want to present yourself as and what you know the corporation or company you're working with the culture inside you know made you do and then you went from that place working from the code switching kind of uh environment to being now yourself and being vibrant being more you know alive working would you uh consider in the future maybe do some you know webinar seminar trying to educate other sisters of color that you know in that journey and having don't see any path you know uh ahead do you that's something that you you plan to do ahead or you're doing currently or do you have any word you know that you can uh, people uh women like you who just start that that journey yeah encouragement Word of encouragement. I mean, um, I would say as a personal word of encouragement is um, know, be confident in who you are and what you know, mm -hmm. and that being able to operate from a place of authenticity is really a gift to the environment in mm -hmm. which you are working in, whether you are creating your own environment whether you are a consultant, whether you're in the public sector, the private sector, whatever, it is the greatest gift that you can give your, um, your coworkers, the people that work for you, the people that you work for. Um, in terms of kind of future endeavors and or um, what we can do as a collective, powerful um, uh, 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 force of, of Black women is, to pay it forward. Mm. I think the value of mentorship is crucial, right? I think it wasn't until um, AI had an epiphany moment way back when, but then another Black woman was able to 
reinforce what I was feeling and call mm. it out what it is. And that black woman had some tenure on her, had been through some stuff. Mm -hmm. And so she could speak from a place of experience. So really yeah. that is what I seek to do um, really through both formal and informal mentoring opportunities. Um, I think it's critically important because again, I think mentors are important overall for different, mm -hmm. for different reasons. But I think for me, what I needed got and still looking for is a woman of color mentor who would be able to provide insight um, and experiential information and um, how to overcome the things that we face day to day. Um, those things that we carry, the, 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 the the, the, the struggles that we carry as black women of mm -hmm. having to work twice as hard to be able to be even considered um, to be in the running um, with our either male counterparts or our white female counterparts, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody who can speak from a place of, of knowledge and experience, I think is criti critical. So I am a big advocate and uh, a, um, a champion for mentorship and sponsorship particularly for, for women of color, black women. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, really, you know, uh, looking forward to see that. And thank you, Cicely. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your contribution. It won't be your first and last time, I guess. You'll be invited here again uh, on our platform to share your experience and give other, you know, women your advice. So I want great. to thank you again and have a great day. Thank you for the opportunity. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us this week on the Queensdom of Sheba podcast. Make sure to subscribe to uh, the show on Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. And while you're doing that, if you found value in this show, we'll appreciate a rating on iTunes or any other platforms. Or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that will help us as well. Okay? Until we meet again, have a great rest of the weekend. Love you.